You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Well, I got back this morning. You may not be able to tell this because I'm very um, chipper. Um, but I got back this morning from California on a red-eye flight, and um, I wanted to be here for today, so here we are. I was in California to preach a funeral, uh, the funeral of my, my grandmother, Betty Jakes, um, and her passing marks, among other things, um, we have now one less podcast listener, so we're down in the ranks because of that, but... Um, But in seriousness, my grandmother is an incredible, incredible woman who loved the Lord with her whole being. Um, Every memory that I have of her is one of her loving the Lord and bringing others um, to love the Lord as as well. She was just given over fully um, to him and the work of his kingdom. My, my grandparents supported missionaries for their, their whole life as, as believers. They supported missionaries who were doing work all around the world. And then they actually had a guest house um, on their property so that when missionaries came back into town, they could host them and be hospitable to them um, and give them rest when they were back stateside. Um, and so until the day that my grandmother died, she was supporting missionaries. She was sending money literally around the world so that the gospel would go forth because she had a heart for the lost. She had a heart to see people come to know Christ because she knew, she knew what it was like to not know Jesus. And she knew the peace that came when she gave herself over to him. Before my grandparents' salvation, they they lived a life that I would call Christian-adjacent right? They sort of knew the Bible stories. They tried to do good stuff and they went to church, you know, sometimes. Um, They weren't followers of Jesus, but in the summer of 1959, some dear friends of them invited them to come to an evangelistic meeting at a church. And while they were there, the pastor read this verse from John chapter 3, John 3, 3, where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And those words really struck my grandmother because while she knew that she was doing good things, she also knew that she was not born again. And perhaps uh, there may be some of us even here in in that same situation. We're living a life that's sort of Christian adjacent. Um, But let me just tell you this. I don't really care how much good stuff you do, all the good stuff you want. Please do good things. But if you are not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. That I can assure you of. And and so my grandmother, though, she was sitting in this service. She hadn't brought her Bible with her because she went to a church where you didn't bring your Bible. And um, so she was sitting there and she was like, that verse is not in my Bible. This guy is making things up. And so when she got home, she committed herself to looking it up on her own. Turns out it was in her Bible. Um, What do you know? And um, she said to my grandfather, "Um, I think maybe we should start going to a different church. Um, 
And shortly thereafter, the pastor of this church where the evangelistic meeting was came and uh, met with them and, and just shared the story of Christ, what Jesus had done and how they um, could know salvation themselves. And they, and they both turned um, and accepted Christ in July of 1959. Um, and she would tell you, if you were to ask her, she would tell you that that moment in her life is the moment when peace just invaded her life. A peace that she had never known before um, that day she came, that came to her. So my, my grandparents' passion for the lost was rooted in their own experience of having somebody care enough about them that they would share the gospel with them. But really, right, when, really when you think about it, we, anybody who's accepted Christ, no matter who you are, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's because somebody cared enough about you to share the gospel with you. Anyone who is following Jesus is doing that because of the grace of God, but also because of the declaration of the gospel that came from someone. Because they heard that call that comes from scripture that they would go and make disciples, Christ followers go and make the gospel known so that even more people would trust in Jesus. That's what we do. And so um, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 28. If you were with us for the last I don't know, four months. Um, we've been in the book of Matthew. We've been in this series that we have called As It Was Written. Because all through the book of Matthew, what we see happening is Matthew is saying, oh, see this thing that Jesus did, just did? That is exactly as it was written. He is fulfilling prophecy all over the place in the book of Matthew. He really is the Christ from God. But I think this week, in some ways, that title is going to take a little bit of a change for us because I don't want us to be thinking just about all of the prophecies that he fulfilled, but rather in this passage, the very end of Matthew 28, what we're going to see is that we ought to be saying to other people, let me show you exactly what is written about Jesus. So these past four months have just been a, a, prime, a primer for you to now go and do the work of the gospel. We have been telling you for the last four months what Jesus did, and now we're going to tell you to go and tell everybody else what Jesus did. That is the call that we have to tell others of his miraculous birth, his perfect life, his authoritative teaching, his powerful healings, right? His brutal death and his glorious resurrection. We go and we tell others that salvation is found in no other name but the name of Jesus. That's the call that is on the life of those who follow Jesus. As our passage this morning is from Matthew 28. We're going to read verses 16 to 20. Um, if you have your Bible with you, you may have already turned there. It's on the screen. If you picked up one of these Bibles on your way in, it's on page 926. You can find it there. And if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, please take one of those with you um, as our gift to you. Well, let me read Matthew 28, 16 to 20. It says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. The very last words that Jesus speaks to his followers in the book of Matthew are, I am with you always to the end of the age, which is incredible because one of the first things that is said about Jesus in the book of Matthew, if you can remember this far back, it's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, where we're reminded of a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The same one who was prophesied about as God with us, then took on flesh and walked among us, a thing that we've read about, we've talked about now for months, but then after dying and and giving victory through the resurrection to all of us, he gathers his disciples together and he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The miracle of God coming to be with us has not ended. He is with us still through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He is with us still. So let me just sum up this passage in this way. This is, I think, a summary statement of it. It's this, Jesus is always present with all power so I can go all places and talk to all people about all that he commanded and about how we all have only one hope, and that's faith in Jesus. Now that's perhaps not much shorter than the original, but perhaps, perhaps it helped us see how often he uses the word all in this passage. It is an all-encompassing thing he's talking about, right? He has, he's always present. He has all power. I'm going to go to all places. I'm going to talk to all people about all that he has commanded over and over and over again. The short little passage, Jesus is emphasizing that there's no halfway when it comes to following Jesus. There's no halfway when it comes to sharing about Jesus. There's no halfway when it comes to making disciples. And that's really the central command here, right? Go and make disciples. That's what Jesus tells them to do. But look at this progression that we see in the passage. It's really remarkable. The disciples see him and it says they worship him. So it starts with worship. They worship him and then he sends them out to make disciples. Missions, evangelism is a direct outflow of worship. When we truly worship God, we would desire that all those who don't know about him or even all those who know about him but don't yet worship him, that they would worship him as well. And so mission happens because worship doesn't happen. Right, that's John Piper says pretty much that. He says missions exist because worship does not. Right? In other words, we become missional when we are just smitten with God. Just smitten with God. And then we encounter people who don't love him yet. And we're like, how is that even possible? Right, the end goal of the church is not missions. The end goal of the church is worship. The end goal of the church is that the whole world would be smitten with the glory of God. That's our desire. And we do this in all sorts of things. We do that when we want people to watch our favorite movie. 
our favorite TV show, right? All you people who love music try to convince me that I should like your favorite band, and then I try to convince you that you should like my favorite podcast. We all do it. When we love something, we tell people about it, and we don't just tell, we argue about it. Right? We will go to great lengths to make you agree with us. It really is the best thing. This is all that we're being asked to do when it comes to, because our worship, we then would go in mission. Worship always leads to mission. Worship always leads to mission. And then this is what happens. It leads us right back into right, more worship and then more mission and then more worship. And it forms this cyclical relationship between mission and worship. That's what, we, that's what we want to see. So if you are a true worshiper of Christ, you will be missional for Christ. If you are actually a disciple of Christ, you will make disciples for Christ. Okay, but, but who? Who are we supposed to disciple? Our passage says, make disciples of all nations. Right? We might say, go to all places and talk to all people. Right? There is nowhere, there is no one outside the vision of the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations. The Greek word that's used there for nations is the Greek word ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnicity. So he's saying make disciples of all ethnicities. There's no bias. There's no racism in the Great Commission. We are called and commanded and sent out to reach every ethnicity. Why? Because the vision of the kingdom of God that scripture gives us is a vision of all of those nations, all of those ethnicities gathered around people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, gathered around the throne of God to give glory to him forever. And so there's no room for racism in the Great Commission because there's no room for racism in the kingdom of God. Now that call, though, is bigger than any one of us is bigger than any one of us individually. No individual person can go to every nation and make disciples. That's not the call. It's not to each of us individually, but the church itself, the people of God are commanded to do just that, to go to every nation. But we actually see this sort of distinction play out for us in Scripture. So you may remember that you've got the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, these two guys. They're both doing good stuff for the kingdom of God. They're both leading people to the Lord. They're both preaching the gospel, making this known. And there are some evil people who want to cause division in the church. And so they're starting a fight between the two of them. Well, Peter and Paul are having none of that. So they just come together in Jerusalem and have a conversation. And when they get together, here's what happens in Galatians 2. We're told about it. Paul says this, Galatians 2, 7. When they, that's Peter, saw that I, Paul, had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, that's the Jews, for he, that's God, who had worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The same commission 
was sending out people with the same gospel to different people so that together they could reach all people. That's division, right? Paul and Barnabas to the Gentiles, James and John and Peter to the Jews. But here's what's even more incredible about this. Peter still shared the gospel with Gentiles. So Peter's the apostle to the Jews, but he led Cornelius to the Lord, who was a Gentile, right? And Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, but every city he walked into, the first place he went was the synagogue to meet with the Jews. And so what's actually happening here? What they've done is they've divided up where they're going, not who they're reaching. Right? So we are each individually called to be making disciples of everyone in our world, everyone around us. We are called to be making disciples. Corporately, we go to all the nations, but individually, we're called to be doing the work of making disciples wherever we find ourselves. So for many of us, what that means is that we're called to make disciples here in Annapolis, maybe even more specifically in the College Creek Corridor. But at the same time, right, we send the Martinez family to Poland. Now, when they get to Poland, what our hope is, is that they don't just share the gospel with certain people in Poland, but with everyone that they encounter. In the same way that us here, we're not just going to share the gospel with certain people, but with everyone that we encounter. Because that's the call of mission. We're dividing up where we're going, but not who we're reaching. Because the call of the gospel is that we would go everywhere and reach everyone. That's the hope. That's what we are after. And so the Lord may call you for a specific season to a specific place of ministry, but wherever that place is, you are to be unbiased in your declaration of the gospel truth. Right, that's what we've been saying. Jesus is always present with all power. That means I can go to all places and talk to all people. I can talk to all of them. But what is discipleship? What is the work of making disciples actually look like? Well, I should talk, here's what he says, I should talk about all that he commanded. And I should talk about the fact that we all only have one hope, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. The way our passage puts it is this, go make disciples of all nations by doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The work of disciple making is both what we might call evangelism and what we might call training in righteousness. But both of those things are declaring the incredible news that Christ has come into the world to save sinners. And that in Christ, we not only find forgiveness from our sins, but we find true freedom from our sins. And so now we can lay them down in obedience to Christ's command because we've been set free from all the things that used to hold us in bondage. The work of disciple making is the work of declaring that Christ is both Savior and Lord. We could also think of it in this way. I mean, the very first command that Christ gave in his whole ministry was this, repent and believe the gospel. And so if we're going to teach them to observe all that he commanded them, we must start by teaching them this command, 
repent and believe the gospel. And that is foundationally the work of evangelism. That's what it means to share the gospel. But, but if you don't know what the gospel is, maybe you're sitting here like, this all sounds really great, but I don't even know what this guy's talking about. He keeps using that word. What does it even mean? So let me just say this gospel, it, the word simply means good news. And the gospel to us individually is simply this. It's that glorious news that God is reconciling sinners to himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? The Bible says that we're all sinners. Every last one of us has sinned against a, a holy God and we deserve, the Bible says, a punishment of death. That's what we have earned. It puts us in a desperate situation. Because when we look around, we realize that we can't do anything to help ourselves. And that's what the good news is all about. The good news is that God can. The good news is that God did. That God sent Jesus, his, his own son. God himself came. And he lived among us a sinless, perfect life. And then he laid down his life on a cross taking the punishment that we deserved upon himself. And then he rose with victory, rose with victory over death and over sin so that any who would repent and believe in him would no longer perish, but would have eternal life. And the Bible calls that, that when we repent and believe, it calls it perhaps a lot of different things, but one thing it calls it, it calls it being born again. That's the very thing that my grandmother was talking about. She was born again. Because she repented and believed in Jesus. You must be born again. You may say, okay, but where do you see this whole sharing the gospel thing here? Because this doesn't actually say share the gospel. It says make disciples. So where do you actually see that in the text? Okay, well, let me, let me show you that. When a person is born again, scripture tells us that we declare that new birth through baptism. That's how we declare that a person has been born again. Baptism doesn't save a person, but it illustrates what happens in a person's life. So here's what we do. We submerge them in water and then we bring them back up. And the Bible says that when we do that, here's what's happening. We're saying that we've been buried with Christ in baptism. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. Literally, we've been born again. And so in our text, when it says make disciples, it says it when it says baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So first, we need them to be born again so that we can do this act of declaring that new birth to all who are watching. And so he says, go, share this glorious good news that people would hear the gospel, that people would repent of their sins, that they would believe in Jesus, that they would be born again, and that they would testify to that new birth through baptism. But that's not the only work of disciple-making. We're also called to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right? When Jesus calls his disciples very early on in Matthew chapter 4, he calls them, he says, come and follow me. And it says that immediately they left everything and followed him. They left their family, they left their job, they left their possessions, they left everything. And they went and followed Jesus. The same gospel that has caused us to be born again is the gospel that helps us follow Jesus. 
because we've been born again by repentance and faith. And the life of following Jesus is really just a life of repentance and faith. That's all it is. What does it mean to observe all that Christ has commanded? It means to listen to his voice, to tune your heart to the sound of the voice of God so that he can tell you the things that he would like you to leave behind so that you can follow him. That's, that's the life of discipleship, of handing over our sins to Christ and following after him. A lifetime of really just slowly learning how to do that. My grandmother was 90 years old when she passed away. And here's what I want you to know. She really did listen to that podcast. And a little over a month before she passed away, she called me and she said, I need some pastoral advice because I was listening to this sermon and I was convicted of sin and I need you to help me repent. 90 years old and still listening to the voice of God, repenting of sin and finding freedom in the grace of Christ. This is a lifetime of doing the same thing, just listening and repenting and receiving from Christ. And so the call of Christ is that we would go to all places and we would talk to all people about all that he has commanded and about how all of us only have one hope and that is faith in Jesus Christ. But you know, to tell people that they're a sinner is hard work. It's scary to tell people that there's, it should be scary to tell people that they're a sinner. Um, if it's not, you may not love them very well. It's scary to tell people that they're a sinner. It's, it's perhaps terrifying work to tell them they must be born again if they have any hope of seeing the kingdom of God. It's a daunting task. And so you may be sitting there and kind of thinking like, here's the thing, I'm not even sure I believe this. Like I have doubts about this too. I'm terrified at the thought that I'm gonna go and have a conversation with someone and tell them, what if they, what if they point out my doubts? What if they point out my sins? Can I really do this if I have doubts and fears? Well, here's what our text says, and it's really remarkable. Our text says that you can, you actually should still do it. You can still do it. The calling is still for you because the authority of God stands at your side. I think the thing that's remarkable about this passage is verse 17. Verse 17, they see Jesus and it says they worshiped him, but some doubted. They worshiped him, but they still doubted. They were face to face with the risen Jesus. They had seen him arrested, watched him get killed, saw him in a tomb, and then they saw the empty tomb, and now they're encountering the risen Lord. And they still doubted. And how does Jesus respond to their doubts? He says, hey, I got a mission for you. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And these guys are like, I don't even know if you're real. <laughs> it's okay. Go make disciples. I tell you what, I'll go with you. To the very end of the age, I'll go with you. 
I can think of no greater thing to do with your doubts than to join arms with Christ in the work of his kingdom and watch as he just keeps showing up and showing off because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. So if you're doubting, just ask him. Ask the God of all authority to demonstrate that power to you, to show you who he really is. And don't think that you have to have it all figured out before you share the gospel. Don't think that you have to be sinless before you share the gospel. Don't think you have to be fearless before you share the gospel. One, because then you'll never share the gospel. And two, because if you wait for all of those things to happen, you're doing it in your own power and not his. And we're called to go and do this in his power, not in our own. Jesus is looking for fearful, doubting, but faithful men and women to make disciples of all nations. And here's his twofold promise to you as you go and do that. He says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. The comfort of Jesus is the presence of Jesus. Jesus is always present with all power so I can go to all places and talk to all people about all that he has commanded and about how we all have only one hope and that's faith in Jesus Christ. The power and the presence of Christ sandwich the calling that he places on our lives. Either one of them, either one of those promises by themselves is not particularly helpful, not particularly comforting to know that he has all power if he's not with you and not particularly comforting to know that he's with you if he doesn't have all power. But these two working in tandem are an unstoppable force in the people of God. And the two are brought together really beautifully in this passage that I love um, to quote for you from Romans chapter eight. It says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things to come, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love and in his love we are more than conquerors. Do you see that list of things that are conquered in Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, all of them. All of them hold no fear over us. We've conquered, we are more than conquerors in Christ and if one of them were to seem to be victorious, if that persecution or that tribulation should turn to death, even that will not conquer us because death cannot separate us from Christ. It cannot separate us from his love. Nothing can. Always present in the love of Christ and always victorious in his power. Friend, Jesus is always present with all power. So you, you can go all places and you can talk to all sorts of people about all that he has commanded you. And you can tell them all 
that they only have one hope, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. And so let your worship of Christ lead you to the declaration of the gospel. Let it lead you onto mission. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that that nothing can separate us from your love. Because Lord, sometimes it, when we look at the things that you call us to do, it seems like we are just running right into danger. And Lord, while that may be true, we're just grateful that you walk with us in it. In the midst of all the troubles of this world, you are there. And you have overcome the world. And so, Lord, we pray that you would um, give us strength even today to make your gospel known. Lord, today we've just been worshiping you. We've been worshiping you in our, in, our, in our songs. We've been worshiping you in our prayers. We've been worshiping you as we've listened to your word. And Lord, we're gonna continue to worship you, but we pray that our worship would lead to mission. Lord, that it would compel us to go and to tell others for their sake, but also for your sake, that you might be rightly praised by all who are on earth. And so, Lord, would you reveal your presence and your power to us even today, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.